Headhunters. The Great Debaters. This is Off the List. I will. Welcome to Off the List, everybody. <laughs> the podcast Hello. where Nadira and I have never once held it together to start recording. <laughs> I think we did like our very first time. We were this. so prim and proper. We were like, we're so good at this little pot. And now we're just like, eh, it's falling apart every time. But last time, last week, it was my turn to edit and I accidentally uploaded the wrong podcast. <laughs> I don't listen back. The one yes. week, no. It was just your unedited <laughs> audio, like the full out. Did someone let you know? No. <laughs> wow. Honestly, that may be my favorite moment we've had recording this podcast so far. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Anyway, because you were talking about how professional, whatever, whatever we are, um, and how we've been doing this for a little bit now. And I'm like, listen, but I got to tell you something. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing most of the time. Uh, <laughs> and with that, she's the pro on the movies. <laughs> I am the pro on the music. <laughs> and this week we have, honestly, it. With what we just talked about, I'm glad that we're talking about some uplifting shit because we got two really, really nice, just like fun, put a smile on your face. Well, most of the movies put a smile on your face. (laughs) And we have Headhunters by Herbie Hancock and The Great Debaters is, oh wow, I just blanked. Is Denzel, he is the like producer, right? Or is he not He directed it. He directed, he directed it? it. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I always, you know, talented when, man, that one. Yeah. Whenever they're like actor plus producer plus director, I'm always like, am I misattributing something? But yeah, no, yeah. That, he really had every, his hands and everything in that. But we're going to be starting out with Headhunters by Herbie Hancock. And pretty much, this is one of the few jazz albums which almost every American has familiarity with. Mm-hmm. because of the iconic song Chameleon and its bass line most mm-hmm. appropriately. And just to give a little bit of a background on what Herbie was doing prior to this album and why this album is so influential is this album came out in 1973 and this was a period of time where there was two spaces in the jazz world there was this kind of rarefied elitist space that had been set up and kind of established through the work of john coltrane and all of the bebop artists before it where if you were listening to it it was real jazz there was no electronic no overdubbing everything was one take jake kind of shit and if that was not your style you were looked down upon and it was not real jazz. 
And then everyone lost their collective minds when Miles Davis went to Jazz Fusion. And then this record, Headhunters, Herbie Hancock, he was kind of in that rarefied space previously. And he was like, I'm sick of all this elitist bullshit. And decided to make a pure funk album in his mind. And now when a jazz artist goes out to set up, create a funk album, what they create is a jazz funk album. This is, you know, not a funk album in like a purist sense of the word, but Mm -hmm. like, it's so incredibly funk that to like deny that place would be ridiculous. And it is also the album that kind of broke that, space and that kind of elitist attitude towards the fact that like when a jazz musician one begins interacting with electronic music two begins interacting with easier to listen to or more digestible music all of these things that they're not creating like important work and so herbie did that here and i think this album is you know important not only for that historical significance but also just because of the songs that he did it with are amazing and are so intertwined with American culture. But with that background said, Nadira, what are your thoughts on this album? How much of it did you know? I feel like you must have known most of it. Does one know jazz? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, thank you, Barry B. Benson. Now... (laughs) (laughs) Does one know jazz? Yeah, I mean... I'm sure that I have heard this album in its entirety in some in somebody's grandpa house, if not mine, one of my two or f- former two. Well, one is still alive. One is no longer alive. <laughs> However you phrase that. Yeah. Um, if not mine, then somebody else's grandpa house. So I'm sure that somewhere in my existence, uh, I have heard this album in its entirety but the only song that really sounded familiar was Chameleon. And even then it only sounded vaguely familiar. Mm -hmm. So it really did feel like a new experience for me. I, okay. Well, first I have to say that I realized I forgot to do this last episode. Um, I forgot to say what the Nine Inch Nails album was giving. So I think I'm going to, I'm not going to like that was in the past gotta move forward (laughs) no need to rectify that mistake but i will say what this album is giving it's very hard because i feel like it's giving so much it's giving a Mm. lot you could take it in many different directions but somehow i feel like (laughs) okay so you know arthur the aardvark like from the pp of course i know arthur the aardvark okay great of course so i feel like arthur he grew up, he became a teen, and he had a little woke phase where he was like, <laughs> you know, power to the people, mm-hmm. screw the man, I hate the 1%, can't keep a good black man down. Arthur was black. We not going to fight about that. Arthur was black. <laughs> so you can't keep a good black man down. Yeah. And I feel like, and it was just a phase, you know, like not necessarily that his that his left-centeredness went away but that it became less annoying and less all of his personality like you know Mm -hmm. when like men in like when they're like 16 17 18 19 they become woke and then it's they're insufferable Mm -hmm. yeah they all become pick me's 
Yes, exactly. And I feel like he went through that. And I feel like this was his favorite album to put on when he would tweet or find memes or go on Instagram (laughs) and talk about, like he would find liberal memes on Instagram. And this would be the album he was listening to when he would post that shit on his story. Uh. So (laughs) I feel like, you know, and then he would be like, he would be texting his friends or he would be texting Mm -hmm. this girl and he'd be like, yeah, we just got to, we just got to fucking like a cab, bro. Like we just got to do all this stuff. And, and it's really unfair how, and this is the album he would be listening to. By the way, I know that you probably know Chameleon, but like you really should hear Sly because it's kind of like actually what the album's about. Like, Yes, yes. <laughs> and then he'll start fucking quoting some like like Henry David Thoreau. And you're like, no, nigga, <laughs> what is going on here? <laughs> so um, I don't know how to put that into like, four words or one phrase or one sentence but that's what it's giving arthur the aardvark as a woke teenager during his really annoying woke phase communicating to other people this is the soundtrack he would have while he was doing all of that stuff that was i mean you well made it for the fact that we missed last week that was (laughs) that was like more than one that was a journey um, yes. My my main question is: Is that a positive emotion or a negative emotion? <laughs> so it's the music on this album. I know. I think it's a really good question. I think what it's giving. I think that whole description is somewhat negative, but I feel very positively about the album. So maybe I have um, an unconscious bias of the type of people that I think listen to this music, which is like not fair because everyone should listen to this music, but. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on there because I would say that, that it has a tinge of negativity to it that that what it's giving description yeah. but I, I do think that the album slaps it um, it's just really cool lots mm-hmm. of cool like um, sounds there's some breathing there's mm-hmm. some you know some we all know how much I love a good breath on a track mm-hmm. there's some breathing there's some some instrumentalization of all forms it's funky it feels um it feels ancestral in some way like it feels uh like something that you could connect to connect to your ancestors with right like Mm -hmm. so i feel like i could if i could go back in time and i could meet my great 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 grandfather i feel like one thing we would have in common or be able to talk about is this album if that makes sense i mean that lines up pretty damn well with what herbie was trying to do because he specifically talks he specifically in the creation of this album was trying to fuse and meld this kind of technical expertise and like or he had gained in that kind of like rarefied jazz space i had talked about before and combine it with elements and aspects of black culture that were just like indelible to like the actual essence of being black and yes one like really clear example of it is on chameleon everyone pays attention to the baseline but what really really solidifies that song together is the fact that that kick comes in right before two like it's like but don't but don't don't Dun, 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 dun. like that part is really what like makes that song groove and keep going and he got that 
rhythm from a trip to the Ivory Coast. And Cote d'Ivoire. Mm-hmm. Yes, Cote d'Ivoire. Of course you did. Yeah. And it's it's things like that that, you know, like why you can pick up on the fact that it feels like something that kind of like connects down like your ancestry and is like something that all like people of kind of like all like different generations of black people can connect to and have something to listen to on the album. So that like, you know, of course it, it, it's not surprising that you'd like immediately sense yeah, it. But, but look like, at me hitting the nail on the head. Yeah. Look at, me, <laughs> look at me doing that. Exactly. You see me grandpa. I did that. I did that. <laughs> I did yeah. it for us. And there is a little bit of controversy towards the fact that when he originally released this album, there was, a movement in kind of like again that rarefied jazz space that was like you have a bunch of white people listening to your like you know like funk album like what the hell is going on and his response to that was like sure i got like a bunch of white fans on this project but now i've got even more black fans and that's pretty much like what herbie said around like all that controversy and that quote and that kind of sentiment shut down a lot of that kind of elitist bullshit because he was like, yeah, there's white people in the space now, but like there's even more black people. It's he, I think he essentially said like, it's not a white space now. It's still a, a very black space um, in these, pro- like in this project and in the spaces where it's listened to. Yeah. That's really interesting because I feel like that response is really good and appropriate and works for his music, but would not work for the same criticism that let's say rap or hip hop music gets today. Mm-hmm. Like would not like, you know, if it, cause it honestly could be whomstever because hip hop and black culture and rap music is the zeitgeist of today. But if it was Kanye West who was like, you know, I'm not black. I'm OJ or whatever. Yeah. Like, it's fine. Like it's so what there's white people okay. here, but there's still black people here. I feel like we'd be like, okay, but I mean, I guess he doesn't really curse anymore now that he's found God again. But if he did, if he was still saying, you know, the N word in his shows and stuff, I think we'd all be like, okay, so, (laughs) um, no, that's not really how it works. Yeah. Um, but I feel like Herbie was, which by the way, great name. I feel like Herbie was, um, name of car famously, was um, in a very good position for that to be true. And I don't know if that's necessarily him, if it's just the essence of jazz music, jazz and funk music, or if it's specifically something that can be done with non-lyrical music. But I do think that he was in a really good position for that to be true. And I like that he was just kind of like, you know, man, that seems like a you problem, not <laughs> that, a me problem. That, that is really what he did. And it also, I think, kind of subtly called out a lot of the pettiness that existed within him getting like so much success off of the album. And even it's a little bit like it's such a disingenuous criticism as well because of that like previously mentioned song Sly and how much that song is still at its core, like a really long progressive just like jazz solo jam session and it really is always fantastic when an album is like so clearly and so precisely manages to like fuse sounds that it kind of breaks down a barrier that had existed between genres before and i think that this album existed exists as that as this barrier breakdown for 
the kind of elitist jazz class that had formed in an attempt, and you know, rightfully so, to protect its black heritage. It's not not saying that you know there isn't a reason for that kind of protectionist around the genre, but for it to become a larger part of the American canon, albums like this had to come around. And it is great that it's also awesome because sometimes you listen to an album that kind of breaks down those barriers and you're like, it's not really mm, getting at questionable. it. But yeah. It's like, it's not really getting there, but like I get what they're going for. And then it's an album like down the line that really solidifies it. But this album was like, Nope, one clear shot right down. Okay. So our film for this episode is the great debaters. It was released in 2007 it was directed um and stars and maybe produced by um denzel washington the goat it was written by robert isel it is based loosely on a true story which was told in an article written by tony sherman for the 1997 issue of american legacy um in that article he Tony Sherman talks about the 1935 Wiley College debate team and how it defeated the University of Southern California, which was the reigning national debate champion in like the collegiate debate, whatever their organization is called. Wiley College was also the first black debate team to participate in the first, of course, collegiate interracial debate in the U.S., but that was actually the 1930 team versus the University of Michigan, not the 1935 team which debated the university of southern california um so the movie kind of synthesizes the history of the wiley college debate team and tells a true classic hollywood story um about a poet and professor melvin b tolson who teaches at the predominantly black university of wiley college in 1935 marshall texas and it talks about how he leads his black debate team to great success um, and to eventually at the end in a very emotional, very great, very satisfying scene to debate the Harvard University, which never happened. They actually debated the University of Southern California. But, you know, when you're making a movie, it's always got to be Harvard or Yale. It's always got to be Harvard or Yale. So that's what happened. There's other ties to it. Um, Wiley College was really closely tied to the Methodist Episcopal Church. So there's a lot of sort of religious versus academic, um, liberal versus comfortable. (laughs) And I say that to say that I don't think the black people of the time were conservative in the way that we consider the them conservative um even though they were religious i feel like they were just trying to make it and they were just trying to survive um Mm -hmm. but melvin b tolson in the film he you know is trying to organize a union for farmers and for like farm laborers and there's just a lot of other things going on but it is a good just family film oh and i forgot to say who else it stars it also stars in addition to Denzel Washington, Forrest Whitaker, Nate Parker, Journey Smollett, who I think her full name now is Journey Smollett Bell, Denzel Whitaker, who is not related to Denzel Washington nor Forrest Whitaker, John Hurd, <laughs> Kimberly Elise, and more. And I should just note that it is a Weinstein film. Like it is a film from the Weinstein Company. Mm-hmm. And also Nate Parker, who plays Henry Lowe, a, um, a main character in the film, has 
allegations, rape allegations against him as well. So people have done some things since the things have come to light since this film was originally released. Wait, rape Um, allegations on the film set or just... No, 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 just just in life. Oh, I think okay, when okay. he was in college years ago, um, and that's a whole separate drama that we don't need to get into. But just mm-hmm. to know that we are aware of the fact that promoting this film is a dicey area because it is a Weinstein Company film and it does center someone who does have allegations of sexual assault and abuse against them. But with that being said, before I get into how it was received and what I think and everything, Ben... What did you think of this film? I feel like this film, we were talking about it in the sense of how it kind of just was always in your childhood, like Mm -hmm. on a TV when you went into your friend's house. Um, And I said that I was always familiar with it because it was always like on a channel that I had just like flipped past um, growing up. And I feel like when I compare the movies that were just like perpetually on in like all of my like white friend households (laughs) to this, it's very disappointing because this movie is (laughs) leagues better than that. Um, It really is. I really appreciate how it manages to ride this line between like heartwarming and additionally, like it pulls no punches Mm -hmm. to the subject matter and what it's talking about. Like, the scenes where they have, you know, like, a lot of content running around, like, lynching and, um, all like, abuse and all of those things, they don't pull, like, they show the scene, like, really aggressively. And I was kind of surprised for that because it was only rated, like, PG-13, so I just didn't even think that anything like that would happen. So, but at the same time, all of the characters just kind of make you want to smile, especially, um, oh God, what's his, what's his name? The little kid. James L. Farmer Jr. James L. Farmer Jr. I mean, look, I knew the second he was introduced, I'm like, I'm going to love this fucking kid so much. And then by the I end love of it, Denzel like, Whitaker so much. Uh, and he has the, the moment, the big moment of mm-hmm. the film is his moment. And it just feels so earned for him, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Uh, like I, I remember that moment where, he says, like, you're going to be debating. I was like, you know, I didn't see it coming, but now that it's happening, this is the best thing ever that this movie could have done. Like, it, yeah. it just, like, puts it up. Like, it lines it up so perfectly, and then they just, like, hit a home run. Um, I, I don't think it's, like... I do think... And maybe this is, like, a weird personal bias I have. I always have, like, a hard time with movies that are, like, based on a true story. Because the entire time I'm like... So like, did that happen? And then the like, so did that? So did that happen? Like, um, but the story itself and like is like very very heartwarming, and I was really impressed with how, like I said, how the film pulls no punches. It talks in reality about the just the the horrid, disgusting, racist shit that like black people had to experience in that time of their lives, while simultaneously also making you smile like there's very few movies that ride that line yeah it um specifically when i think of how you just phrased it which i think was really good i think of the very it is super quick it's such a short super quick moment in the film where the sheriff or police chief or whatever his actual title was but the head of the police is questioning these two guys about 
if they've been to or know of a secret meeting for a farmer's union that, mm-hmm. you know, is being built or trying to be built or be promoted. And the first time we see them, they're like, no, we don't know anything about it. And the next time the sheriff is giving this really long, almost like soliloquy, you know, of all of his thoughts and how horrible that would be and how like stupid it is. And then he says, isn't that right? And the camera cuts and it cuts to one of the guys you saw before, but he was brutally beaten. And and you're just like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh shit. And I think it, it does that, those sorts of moments so well. With that being said, it is a family film, right? So it is a little bit sanitized and it does mm-hmm. stitch together pieces of history um, in a way that they didn't actually occur in or changes parts of it um, in a way that they didn't actually happen in order to service a greater Hollywood story, which is like, you know, the good guys have to win and there has to be this whole hero's journey or this whole arc that makes sense for a Hollywood film. But even given that, it's just so good you know, mm-hmm. and it's surprising to me that it actually has a Rotten Tomato score of 80% and a Metacritic score of 65% because it's the exact type of movie that you would expect to have a Metacritic score of 35%. The way rom-coms and other happy-go-lucky Hollywood films, you know, have lower scores. But it's it's so good at doing exactly what you said, at making you laugh and making you feel really heartwarmed. I don't know if you can... <laughs> take the word heartwarming and put put it that way and conjugate it that way but heartwarmed um, <laughs> while also talking about really depressing things like the whole film is set in 1935 in texas that's the jim crow south and it's also the great depression you know these are people are poor they are dirt poor they are starving and they are persecuted in every which way and to have a story that is true to some degree i mean it is true but the way they depict it is only true to some degree and to have it come off in such a valiant way i think is so impressive and it just makes you feel good watching this movie just makes you feel good and you also Mm -hmm. learn a little bit about history you learn that you could never be a part of a fucking debate team because i could never in my life when they have to argue about points they disagree with i'm like it's so stressful when they have to argue Mm -hmm. that people shouldn't be on welfare i'm like um I don't know. And then they have to memorize quotes from famous theorists just to pull out of their hat so they can say, oh, when St. Augustine said such and such. I'm like, now who knows what St. Augustine was doing? And why do you? (laughs) Like, I don't have that off the top of my head. But it's just really great and the last thing i wanted to say which i just found really impressive like i could speak forever about this film um but all of the songs in the film were handpicked by denzel washington oh that's sick that's pretty cool isn't that cool it's like Mm -hmm. a pretty good soundtrack it's pretty pretty especially the way it opens um Mm -hmm. with that like traditional like gospel blues song it's a blues song and it's like they're at that uh party and henry Mm -hmm. Lowe with an e is dancing and it's yeah it's it's very impressive okay but sorry you go you say things I think that, you know, it's good to know that not only were these people real, but also that they probably lived lives that were debatably, like, even more spectacular than, like, what this movie's, like, going out as or talking about. Because I think that we have, like, a tendency, like, to, like you said, the need to, like, make the good guys win. But in these people's lives, they did 
that really hard work outside of the Hollywood framework. Like mm-hmm. they didn't know they were going to win. They were doing this work because they knew it was right. And it, because of them and because of the work that they've done, they truly <clears throat> like shifted American history. So it, it, I don't know, it just is like a very inspiring movie to watch. And it, it, it manages to not feel like a documentary as it's doing it. You just really feel good the whole time it's on. Yeah. It's very reminiscent of one of my other favorite, if not my absolute favorite movie that Denzel Washington stars in, which is Remember the Titans. Mm, um, yeah. Obviously, very different racial politics going on there, but still very much about race and still very much an underdog story about a team of young adults. Um, because in this, it's university, and I believe it's high school and remember the Titans, um, Mm. but a team of young adults that are underdogs that kind of defy racism and defy expectations to win. Um, And I, I mean, spoiler alert. And I I just really, I don't know if I'm just a sucker for those. Well, I I am. I'm a sucker for those (laughs) sort of underdog stories uh, that really ground the character. So you actually start to care about them. Like, I mean, James L. Farmer Jr. is just so, mm-hmm. like, you just, you know he's not going to get the girl. You know as soon as the film starts, yeah. he is not going to get the girl. But he has the most sort of resounding moment in the whole film. And when he gives that closing statement in the debate, you're just like, I know it didn't happen this way. I know these white people were not standing up for them in this <laughs> in this yeah. whole Harvard auditorium. But damn, does that feel good? Like, isn't mm-hmm. that a word? Uh, like eh, and you should pray i choose the latter yes. is a phrase that i was throwing around as a kid <laughs> like, <laughs> i would be like should i do this or should i do this i could do this i could do that you should pray i choose the I latter but that. talking about <laughs> fucking peanut butter and sandwiches yeah i was just shit. about like, to say you're like it's like you're talking to your mom about like what you want for lunch and it's like yeah look mom i can either have your lunch and be happy or I can go eat that cafeteria lunch and you should pray. You should pray. I pray. I do. <laughs> yes. Yes. Young Nadira at her finest. But yeah, no, I just, I just really love this movie. It's really heartwarming. And I like that it was recognized on some formal level, even though it's traditionally not the type of film that would get nominated for awards. Um, it was nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Motion Picture Drama, and it did end up winning a whole host of NAACP Image Awards, Outstanding Director, Outstanding Motion Picture, Actor, Actress, Supporting Actors. Um, so I really appreciate it being in this spotlight. Um, but it's just a, a, a good movie that's satisfying and you will walk away feeling full instead of empty you there's not a single part of it that's confusing it's not highfalutin yeah. or art art housey in any way it's the just they occasionally say some story. of the quotes in the debate or like they talk about the debate but it like and not in a way where you're like not enjoying it but you're just like damn the pickup's hard <laughs> yeah, exactly when in that scene where henry Lowe challenges Denzel Washington challenges uh, Professor Tolson mm-hmm. because he's asking them all these personal questions. And he was like, okay, well, did you talk to your father? Which, by the way, if you got daddy issues, just say that. Like, you didn't yeah. have to do, <laughs> he did the most. But in yeah. that scene where he says that and 
and Denzel Washington, who, by the way, gives an incredible performance in this film. Denzel Washington gives such it like the gravitas of his performance in this film is phenomenal. You believe that he is a black professor from 1935 Marshall, Texas, who is out here trying to educate the kids. But when mm-hmm. he gives that whole speech, which is one of the best reads i've ever seen in my entire life where he's like this isn't about me i'm asking you the questions and then you know henry lowe says whatever smart ass alec Mm -hmm. thing he says back and he goes into this whole lecture about how poorly black people are treated and you can see their faces like you can see henry's face henry's face is like i know this already why are you telling me this like this is something new i know that black people are lynched and burned and drawn and quartered like i i know that these things are happening and denzel washington is just telling him all this stuff and then he says that basically the whole institution of slavery was built to preserve the body and take the mind and he said, I, as a professor, and all what any the only thing that professors here are trying to do is give you the mind back that you must have lost. I yeah. said, if oh. that is not everyone's mama, like, come on. Like, this is the craziest. Like, that was one of the best reads I've ever seen in my entire life. And it was also just like, so, like, it's just so well delivered. It's just one of the small moments in the film that I love so much. Mm yeah man what a what a great movie just like warms your heart i feel like most movies that we watch here it's either like making me laugh making me question what the fuck is going on or making my like heart feel warm but that last category just doesn't get touched enough and this this did it right yeah like i said i I needed something that was heartwarming and good and easy and and this is even though they talk about some not easy things it's still still really really heartwarming all right so moving on to next episode i as we know am leading the ship kind of by sending ben trailers and he has to come up with a song or album rather that fits that trailer with that being said i know that there's a movie that I really, 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 really wanted to show you, or at least wanted to talk about on this podcast ever since we started this thing. We started with John Cusack. We're getting back there. Yeah. And there's another third John Cusack film that I really, really, really want to show you that I might wait another year or something (laughs) to bring up. We'll get there. Yeah, we will get there. But when I went to go look at the trailer for this film, like many films in the late 90s, early 2000s, the trailer was awful (laughs) and gave away way too much of the film, um, for my comfort anyway. So I gave Ben some light criteria. So what I will say is, now I can reveal it, the film is gross point blank. (laughs) <laughs> it Never is. Never heard of it. Yeah, many people haven't. Um, my aunt introduced me to it a few years ago, and it has since become one of my absolute favorite films of all time. It was released in 1997. It stars John Cusack and, of course, Joan Cusack, the dynamic duo. Um, and I'm not really even going to say what it's about because it is delightful not knowing. Um, but it is a sort of romance comedy, and 
the note that I specifically gave Ben was that the music, the soundtrack, was actually curated by Joe Strummer of The Clash. So really great vibes going on here. Simple, you know, something that Ben could really latch on to. And Ben has chosen for me. Never mind the bollocks. Here's the sex pistols. Uh-huh. <laughs> Simple as. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, I can't do a British accent to save my... Especially if that there's anyone... horrible. If there's a single person I should never do a British accent around, it's you. Because of your, like, deep, like, love and respect for that accent. But regardless, we're doing the Sex Pistols. And, you know, we're really talking about when punk became a worldwide phenomena. And off of what I had with The Clash and Just Drummer, I think that this will be a good album. It is an era of punk that I don't personally visit too much in my listening so i am really excited to kind of go back and re-familiarize myself with it for when i can eventually go to see otoboki beaver with you in a couple months and remember what punk has become and why it's even better now i'm really excited about listening to the to the sex pistols they are a blind spot in my music a blind spot in my music consumption and music listening that I have wanted to rectify for a very long time. Um, and I mean, you know, Sid Vicious, Sid and Nancy, the whole, it's got lore that I, that I not enjoy because it's very tragic, but that I'm, uh, I'm really drawn to or interested in, very interested in. Um, and I think it's it's a it's just a, a a piece of culture that is referenced a lot to the Sex Pistols and specifically Sid and Nancy um, that I'm excited to know more about. So yeah, I'm excited for next week. I'm so excited for you to watch this movie, even if you hate it, even if you're like, this is worse than the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. I will not care. That's how much I love this film. I'd have to. I'd have to take stock of what we have shown, but I think it might be my favorite film that I've sent so far. Ooh, Maybe. Very, very interesting. Boys in the Hood is like very up there for me, but it's such a hard watch yeah. <laughs> that it, it's, it's, it's hard for me to actually say it's my favorite because it breaks your heart every single time you turn it on. But this is just fun. I also had to watch it like a million times I did have to watch it a million times for my dissertation that is true that is true but this is just so much more fun and so much more easygoing but still darkly humorous and I absolutely adore it all right well with that said for yes. every listener we'll make sure that when you eventually get around to this podcast you know whenever that mm-hmm. time comes when we have our big break mm-hmm the right ones up for you and all the yes. true off the list fans know what I'm talking about. Yes, absolutely. Uh, what else can we say? There's something I'm missing. Oh, <laughs> Oh, that was headhunters and the great debaters firmly off the list should be off of yours. I know I say that every week or every episode, but even more so this episode than previous ones. Um, and yeah, that's it. Cut. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Incredible. We stand. All righty. Come on, this is where it comes. That should be the closer.
Off the List is made by Ben and me, Nadira. Our artwork is by Rebecca Pearson, and our music is by Cedric Hawkeyes.